Relatively Speaking Podcast with your hosts, Jerry Mintz and Joseph Murdoch. Welcome back to the Relatively Speaking Podcast. We are recording on Monday morning. It is December 19th. We have a fun week ahead of us. But let's get started with our podcast. My name is Jared Mintz. I'm your co-host. And joining me today and every other lovely day that we record the podcast, Joseph Nardone. Joe, how was your weekend? Did you have to shovel any snow? Um, good. Had to shovel snow correctly, yes. And I did a lot of job prepping for the fat man trying to break in my house in six days. Oh, boy. Now, does that mean you did shopping or does that mean you, you set no, your house No, I enclosed like- enclose my chimney. I then I, I, he's gonna have to prove to me he can find a way in other, other than uh, just to winch it. Good luck, man. I hope it works. Um, how do you think he's going to get into your home? Uh, I think he's gonna have to be like a normal criminal and just break in through the front, back, or downstairs door. That's exciting. Uh, so, like, do you put cookies out for him? I'm, I'm not. I'm not a Christmas celebrator. I don't really know, like, the rituals. I mean, yeah, like, we put reindeer food out there on the outside for the reindeer, and then we'll put out some cookies and uh, usually a glass of water because milk doesn't age. If he doesn't drink all the milk, the milk doesn't age as nicely overnight. Wow, that's that's good hustle. And that's what you teach your daughters, that you put out the water because of... Well, we don't explain it like that. We just put out the water. <laughs> We don't be like, all right, kids, the reason why he's not getting milk is because the milk will smell wretched when you guys wake up in the morning. We just say you need water because it's better for hydration purposes. I like that, though. I like that you're teaching your kids to hydrate at a young age. It's very important. For those of you who are listening, don't hate hydrate. Water is water is the key to life. Yeah, yeah. Um, it really is. You should, when you pee, your pee should be, you know, kind of like the color of water. If it's yellow, it means you're not drinking enough water. There it is, guys. Joe's the doctor. No, it's true, though. Google it. So do, you, do your kids listen to the podcast? No. I can never I don't know. listen to I don't know. Listen Maybe you torture your children. Maybe you're driving them places, and you're like, guys, listen, daddy's a major radio star. Let's, let's check this out. No, the only okay. thing they found cool so far in my whole sports media career was when I did the uh, radio spot in Arizona and the Facebook Live stuff they think is neat. But everything else is garbage to them. That's crazy, man. Your kids have like a superstar of a dad, and they don't even know it. Well, my oldest is convinced I've been on Dan Levitard's radio show for some reason. I keep trying to tell her I haven't. That is amazing. Why does she think that? I don't know. Because, like, like, I'll DVR the simulcast on ESPNU, and, like, when I, like, I'll watch it later at night just, like, for giggles, and uh, she knows who he is, and she'll be like, is that what you were on when she heard me on the radio? And I'm like, well, it's similar, but not really the same so now she's just like so you're on damn levitar i'm like no i'm not saying i was on damn levitar <laughs> like yeah we're the store brand version of dan levitar we try really hard to be them but no we are not damn levitar exactly i was thinking about that the other day if we were levitar and stugatz which one would you be would we both be stugatz i think we're both want to be dan levitar but we both have stugatz <laughs> qualities in us do you know what i mean yeah definitely i i wouldn't be surprised if someone tried to compare me to greg cody and i would take that I think, well, the thing is, like, I mean, I think we all know it's all, like, Stugatz is a character. Like, people that take him seriously are kind of funny. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's They have a very nice formula for their show. And, I mean, it's nice. I, I'm, You know how I, like, I'm not so sportsy where I just need sports jammed down me 24-7, so I like their show because it's all over the place. Yeah, same. And, I, and I, this I, is what we do on the pot. Like, it's, we're not ripping their formula, but we do like 
talking about non-sports things all the time. We sure do. They're, they're fun. Not not to shout them out. And sometimes we finish a show, and I'm like, why am I talking about Dan Lebitard? We so talk much? about not, the Dan Lebitard show almost every show. No, but I mean, listen, I think you and I both come from a place where we try to pay respect to other things in our industry and not to even say that we're in the same stratosphere as those guys. But like we try to call out the good in the sports media industry. And I, I think they're definitely at the top for me. And I think you probably agree. So shout out to them. They, they provide us with a good example. Yeah, there's only for me, national radio, there's them and Bomani Jones and then Danny Cannell, Ruin Ryan, the solo show. So, oh my gosh, that is the travesty of sports media. I used to love that. Like, listen, I'm not even a huge SVP guy, but SVP and Masilla worked. And then now it's, I mean, like, I don't want to be that guy, but like, it's, it's bad now. Yeah, it's not great. I hardly look for Rosillo's sake. I mean, I, I love Rosillo because I think he's just so well-rounded. He does college basketball. And he's hardworking. And, and, right. and he's, he's got that dry humor to him, too, that, that resonates with me. Yeah. So, yeah. I, like, it, it, the, the mix just doesn't work. Like, And I don't necessarily hate Canelo either. I like Canelo when he was on that Unite show. Remember Unite? Yeah. I thought that worked really well for him. But he's gone full hot takey mode. And, like, I like listen, I don't know. I'm not going to predict the trends. But, like, I think people are kind of over hot take debate world. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, there's definitely a, a portion that gets into it. And I was actually having this conversation on Twitter with someone yesterday who was like, Maybe next year I'll, I'll translate my account into a into a hot take gas bag account so I can get more interaction. And it's like, well, people do bite. People do love to have those conversations. But at the same time, it's it's not what it was before. And no, like first takes numbers are down, which, listen, all the variety of reasons could be, like, you know what I mean, cord cutting and stuff. Um, whatever that Skip Bayless show, the numbers are under 100,000 or whatever it is. Not great. Yeah. So, like, I mean, like, there's always going to be a market – or, or a spot for any kind of media take there possibly is, hot takes, nuanced takes, whatever. But uh, I think that whole, like, ten years of Skip Bayless and Stephen A. screaming at each other kind of ran its course. Like, I think that peak is over now. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, listen, it never really did it for me, so it's not my place to say, yeah, I don't like it. It's on its way out. You know, I, I don't know if people are still into it or not, but I, I agree. Uh, I feel like I'm seeing less of it. Well, the greatest point. trick they ever pulled was, and I mean, like, I always always make fun of people on Twitter, like, these people would be complaining about Skip Bayless, and be like, well, stop retweeting. Don't <laughs> yeah. follow him and don't retweet him. I mean, like, that's right. how... Like you, took, you took the bait. When you quote tweet, oh my god, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard of Skip Bayless tweet, you are giving them what they want. Yeah, like, it wasn't complicated. Like, if you want, if you think something's um, dumb or stupid or not entertaining, if you just ignore it, guess what? It goes away. Correct. Like, Correct. I, like I always laugh, because they'll, they'll, they'll opine about how great some obscure network personality is but nobody will watch that person or or tweet them but then the moment skip bayless has a, a take they're all like yeah this is horrible <laughs> all right thanks for letting me know like I, I i i don't have actually a huge problem with skip bayless like he clearly just went to the business side of his career you know what i mean so like whatever with him but i had he's more a high of, volume blogger in real life right so like I'm, so i don't have a problem with him i have a problem with the people that are like this is horrible let me quote tweet him 10 times a day yeah i'm with you just don't follow oh, man that's our media analysis portion of the program which we did not play oh, let me do this real quick i want get it josh Everly and ti reeves did a podcast over the weekend about the nba twitter um i'll tweet it out later today um it was really interesting to hear them discuss about the tiers of twitter and NBA hive mind and stuff like that. Even though Josh didn't know what NBA hive mind meant, he discussed it. 
and it was pretty neat. Yeah, I saw you retweet that actually, and I actually I interact with Josh a bunch. We've we've mentioned him on the podcast before. I think he either made our bad tweets or he made some segment. But Josh is a good follow. I, I saw that you you tweeted about that podcast. So I do look forward to listening. Yeah, it was very interesting um, to hear because they both come from different sides of the spectrum. Josh has like forty thousand Twitters. Ti has seven hundred or eight hundred Twitter followers, and they did a good job of discussing Hive Mind and. Uh, you know the tiers of Twitter. Why don't, why don't you explain for our listeners what Hivemind is? Um, when s- mostly when a popular NBA Twitter personality has a take, and then every it just becomes accepted by the larger group. And then there's also the other part of Hive, and then that gets that opinion gets ran as fact. And then if you try to just you know say like, well, what about this or any kind of nuance with it, you get shouted down by the entire Hive. It also works with like networks if you belong to one sports net. This is all writer stuff. If you blind to one network, um, you only share and blind retweet yourself. If you're one network, you don't really do that outside your network. Um, and I think Josh is a great. Um, Josh and TI both talked about blind retweets, how it's you know kind of damaging to the business because you can't just be like great read ten seconds after it's been posted. Right. So um, yeah, I think it's. I mean, it's. I don't necessarily readers will readers or just normal consumers will care that much about it as uh, bloggers and writers would. But I found it very interesting. But we're also embedded into the business, so like that's probably why I found it interesting. Right, for sure. Yeah, look, look out for that one. Joe, Joe's probably going to retweet it. I probably will again later, too, when I get to listen to it. Uh, good stuff. But I think it's time that we start talking about, about sports. sports. Yeah, because we, we did have a lot of stuff happen over the weekend. And I'll put this on the poll. Concept <laughs> shows, in favor or no. All right, going up on the poll. We need somebody to do polls for us. <laughs> yeah, if you're if you're listening and you'd like to be an intern for the Relatively Speaking podcast, wait until the end of the show. We for should totally get Varun to be like on air thinking out loud, just to be our fake intern to do our oh, polls for yeah. us from his account. That, that'd be awesome. We need to get Varun involved in some way, shape, or form. He'll probably be one of our next guests, which we're long overdue for. So yeah, that, we don't do enough guests. If you're interested in being on the podcast, Paul, do you want guests in- or no? <laughs> All right, the the poll portion of the show is now over as well. Joe, I wish we could do this show live. Yeah, and I wish we had somebody be, to put up the polls for us. That'd be a lot of fun. We're coming after you guys, Levitard and Stugatz. We're coming for that 10 o'clock national No, we'll evening. totally record way before you guys do it. <laughs> Obviously. All right, Joe, so listen, I need to start today's show off by admitting I was wrong on something. I know you, you said to me it feels like we've been talking about how good this team is for, like, weeks now, and it's true we have, but I was pretty snarky about it last week. Listen, I, I know the New York Giants weren't the most impressive team in football this past Sunday, and I hate even adding any kind of caveat to, to water down what I'm saying, but I crapped on the idea that the Giants could be Super Bowl contenders this year last week. And I did it on the premise that Giants fans tend to look at this team when they play well and say, this reminds me of the Super Bowl run we had in 2007. I could see it happening again. It's the same kind of team. And I kind of poo-pooed all over that last week. I'm sorry, I was wrong. The Giants are really good. They do so many little things to win games. They're they're a major team, and to me, I think the big thing is in a season where there seems to be a bit more parity. There there isn't really like you know a top heavy scenario where you have like two or three great teams, and then everybody else is meh. It kind of just seems like everybody's kind of like on the border of good and like really good near the top of the NFL. This could be the type of season where a team like the Giants can really emerge. They're getting hot at the right time. They've won seven of their last eight games. They have Odell Beckham, who's just such a game-changer on offense, and the defense is really the story for this team. I was wrong, guys. 
this team could be a Super Bowl team. Joe, what do you think? I was right. You were wrong. I'm a genius. <laughs> You're not. Um, no. Uh, listen, this doesn't, because they beat the Lions, doesn't, and I know the Lions record is good. That doesn't mean they're going to win the Super Bowl. Um, but you're right. They've been playing well over the last eight games. The defense is the story. Odell Beckham Jr. is the game. Like, I'd just be echoing everything you said. Um, I am concerned about the running game. Uh, but other than that, like, listen, I think we all thought Dallas, or think, whatever the way you want to phrase it, Dallas is the best team in the NFC, but they have their quarterback concerns. And... You know, everybody has a puncher's chance in the entire NFL. Whoever makes the playoffs is going to have a puncher's chance this year. So it, you can't really write anybody off that's going to make the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, it, that, that's a big thing about it, too. It's just, you know, you, you look around them and it's like, well, all these teams have a shot. And when, when you kind of take that approach to it, it's like, well, maybe the team that, that, that has a quarterback that's been there in the past and that has a solid defense and that's really figuring it out as the season goes along. And clearly there, there's a few teams like that in the NFC you know, the Packers, who we'll get to in a minute, have been putting it together. The Bucks, they had a tough loss last night, but they, they've looked pretty good leading into, you know, into last night. And they even fought back in that game when they were down pretty big. Some nice resilience out of Jameis Winston. Just you, you look at the NFC, and it's, it's pretty wide open, and it makes me think, you know, this Giants team probably has a better chance than I, than I gave them credit for. The one thing that I'm concerned with, with them, though, is Eli Manning just, like, Outside of Odell Beckham, I just I, I don't think he's having that great of a season. I, I think this offense is struggling a little bit. Um, I just it's 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 hard for me to, to look at them and look at Eli and, and say what I just said about them having a quarterback that's been there before. He could just lead the way for them. He hasn't looked that great over these last few weeks. I don't feel Joe. Are you, are you concerned about Eli being the quarterback for this team, or do you feel like? That's just one area where you don't need to worry. Um, I don't even know if it's a hot take at this point. But like, I think everybody agrees that Eli, the last few years, have kind, his numbers have kind of looked great because of Odell Beckham Jr. So we don't even know if Eli is still that great anymore. You know what I mean? Like, It's weird. The Super Bowls kind of just made him into an accepted quarterback to be like here with Ben Roethlisberger. And I never viewed him as one of those guys, even though he has two Super Bowl rings. I always found him to be like, you know, like a gunslinger, and he's going to have his good games, and he's going to have his bad games. So I feel like the, you're not worried about him necessarily, but you also have to remember, like, he's going to have those games. Like yesterday, 20-28, 201 yards. It's not great. Like, I know the percent, his percentage, his QBR is fine, his rating is fine, but he's going to have a game where he's going to throw two picks, and then he's going to have a game where he could go bonkers. So, like, you're, it's, you're playing roulette with the guy. I, that's how I yeah, feel. I just worry that outside of Beckham, you know, he doesn't look that comfortable throwing to anybody. And Will they all stink? stink? Do they do? Like, I mean, like, we could pretend Victor Cruz and Sterling Shepard are these guys, but they're not. I think Shepard's decent, and I think Eli's had a few games where, like, he's looked comfortable going to Shepard. I just, it, it's, it hasn't been that consistent. I want to acknowledge, though, that it does look like they're making more of a concerted effort to run the ball. You know, kind of seemingly to, to hold on to the ball a little bit longer and to, to even out time of possession. They actually won that battle with Detroit yesterday, which was impressive because the Lions typically win the time of possession battle in their games. So, I mean, th- this team's still figuring it out a little bit on offense, and maybe that's why, you know, they're not just having Eli throw the ball all over the place. Well, Shane Marine just, just came back, too, right? Yesterday was his first game back in a little while. I, I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure. He only had two carries yesterday, but like that's like their backfield was kind of by it. Like I know Rashad Jennings had 18 carries yesterday, and that's not ideal to have Rashad Jennings carry the ball 18 times in any football game. 
Um, but yeah, I expect them to be to try to be heading into the postseason more balanced as they try to figure out a way to score more points. I am with you there. Speaking of balance, yesterday was a yesterday was a big win for a team that you don't really want to give any credit to because you're right, they beat a crappy team on a third string quarterback. But I'm pretty impressed with the Green Bay Packers right now, who, after sitting at four and six, have won four straight games, have the potential to run the table because. They have the Vikings coming up and the, the Bears. No, they have the Vikings and the Lions coming up. Um, but I'm, I'm really impressed with the Packers and the way they've kind of turned their offense around. Yesterday wasn't a great day for Aaron Rodgers, but they were able to really move the ball running it with Ty Montgomery, who's, again, been their best player out of the backfield. And it seems like whenever they acknowledge that he is their best running back option, they play their best offense or they, they win games. And Montgomery yesterday carried the ball 16 times. 162 yards and two touchdowns. He had that huge 61-yard run, which didn't look like it was going to be anything. He looked like he got stopped after about five yards, broke a tackle, and just just booked it. Montgomery's a weapon for them out of the backfield, ball, catching the ball because clearly he was a receiver, and now as a running back, too. Joey, are you any more impressed with the Packers, or do you kind of just think, so what, they beat a bad team? They're not worth talking about. Well, listen, I wasn't killing the Packers before the winning streak. I just said, like, I had my concerns. Their offensive line isn't great. Uh, Aaron Rodgers was missing open throws. The Ty Montgomery thing's weird. He's their leading running back, even though he's a receiver. Uh, 390 yards on the season. Obviously, about half of that came yesterday. So their running game, historically, not historically, but throughout the season hasn't been great. Listen, man, they, they have beaten bad teams. They beat the Eagles, Bork Osweiler's Texans, a good Seattle. Uh, well, listen, Seattle played in Green Bay. Seattle on the road is horrible. And then they beat Matt Barkley's Bears. And Matt Barkley threw three picks yesterday. So, I mean, I I think when you have Aaron Rodgers, like this goes back to the Eli thing and the Giants, I think if you make the playoffs, anything's possible, and especially if you have somebody as good as Aaron Rodgers, I think there's a ton of holes in this game. And I don't think Ty Montgomery is a sustainable running back because he's not built to be a running back. This is why he hasn't carried the ball 16 times per game. Because we noticed this earlier in the season, when they started putting him in the running back, oh, this works. But there's a reason why he's not carrying the ball 16 times a game. Yeah, and I think that reason's just been bad coaching because he doesn't necessarily need to carry the ball. I mean, they were doing that thing where they ran him out of the backfield and they were just, you know, opting to, they were checking down to him all the time. I mean, he had like, I think he had like two 10-catch games back-to-back playing running back in like his first two games in the backfield. I'm not saying he's necessarily their answer at running back. It just seems like, they didn't want to commit to him. They kept running James Starks out there, who wasn't looking productive, and we haven't really seen much of him these last couple of weeks. I, I just think consistency means more to this team than, than it showed. And now that, that they're winning games, that they have a four-game winning streak, that they're committing to, to a Ty Montgomery, that Rodgers has had you know huge games. Again, he didn't have one yesterday, but he's been making Devontae Adams into a huge playmaker. What's funny about Rodgers' bad season is he's going to have well over 4,000 yards when the season's over. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't think he's had a bad season. No, I me neither, but it's bad for him. Do you know what I mean? Like, especially early on. And that narrative right. that narrative has kind of not gotten shaken off yet, that it's a bad year for him. Even though, like, over the last, even going back to, like, the, the, loss and the losing streak, <coughs> sorry, um, he's played well. You know what I mean? They haven't been bad because of him. They've been bad because of 
of almost every other everything else. You know what I mean? Yeah. I again, I I don't think he's been any bit of the problem they've had this season. I I tend to look at a lot of stats through fantasy lens, and he's been you know like a top three to five, if not higher, fantasy quarterback on the season. So I I know that he's had a very productive year. It's just. It's always easy to blame a quarterback when a team is struggling, and I think a lot of this team's struggles were on the defensive end. Offensively, they're really picking it up. But again, you know, they're just, they're not in a playoff spot right now. They're going to need some luck, and they're going to need to win out to get in. Just if they do get in, it looks like they're getting hot at the right time, even though you think they're only beating bad teams. I never saw. <laughs> All right, let's move on to whatever we're talking about next. <laughs> no, you know what we're talking about next. We're talking about your favorite division in the NFL, and that is the AFC South. And what team would be better to start with than the Houston Texans, who experienced a quarterback change yesterday? They Joe's did something favorite, savage. Joe's favorite player in NFL history, Brock Osweiler. We're not even going to call him Bork anymore. Brock Osweiler, the $72 million man, gets benched in the second quarter of yesterday's game. With his team down, or were they down five to thirteen? That's I don't know. And he threw two picks early. Yeah. Right, he throws he throws two interceptions in that game. Bill O'Brien's had enough. He goes to Tom Savage, who saves the day. Tom Savage comes in, completes twenty three of thirty six passes for two hundred sixty yards, no touchdowns, no picks. That's the best quarterback play this team's seen all season. Texans come back to win that game twenty one to twenty. I mean, right now, Houston's the, the leader in that division, even though they're, I think they're tied with Tennessee, but the playoff spot is theirs. Joe, what do you think about the Texans? Moving I have so many questions about this. One, why did it take Tom Savage entering the game to open up the offense? Two, if you felt more comfortable opening up the offense with Tom Savage being the quarterback, why wasn't this move made like five weeks earlier? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. The, the, like, yeah. Like, like, I know, like, you can look. I watch this game because I'm weird with the Texans, even though they're not my favorite team. I'll watch Houston Texans football for some reason. They are so your favorite team. They're not though. Denver is, and uh, like with Bork Osweiler, all they would do is run like screens and three yard slants, and they'd roll him out a lot, even though he's not really good at rolling. And they wouldn't pass the ball a ton anyway. Then Savage comes in, and all of a sudden it's like a full open playbook, right? I don't yeah. get it. Like, like if if you felt if Bill O'Brien felt more comfortable with Tom Savage, why did it take till week fifteen of the NFL season to make this move? Yeah, again, in case you missed it, they they really paid Brock Osweiler to be their franchise quarterback in the off season, and teams tend to be stubborn when it comes to wanting to play the guys that you paid. But yeah, we we clearly saw this team look a lot different with Tom Savage in a quarterback and. I mean, I don't know if this means anything good for them moving forward. No, I, Tom Savage isn't a good quarterback. Like, I right. don't, like you know what I mean? Like, this was one game where his, I don't know, in the NFL, they call it box score? What do they call sure. it? The, yeah, his box. box score looked fairly decent. Like, he's yeah. not the answer long term. Right. I mean, again, not to overreact, they beat Jacksonville, who's 2-12. So. Right, exactly. So, I mean, right. but what a Get savage it. move. You ruined yeah. my pun. Sorry. Going to be fun to see this team moving forward. No, it's they not. It's not going to be fun at all. If you watch any of these games, they're not fun to watch. Yeah, you're right. Well, they get the Bengals next Saturday night, and then they finish the season in Tennessee. Before we, we move on to the Titans, just want to note, the Jaguars finally fired Gus Bradley after this loss. And then they this let him fly was... in the play home with them. How awkward is that? Yeah, that's the weirdest. This loss was finally what what put them over the edge and made them fire Gus the Bradley. Tom Savage game. Because Blake Bortles is worse than Brock Osweiler or something like that. Nah. All right, up next, Joe, I want to talk about the Tennessee Titans, who are challenging the Texans for that AFC South Division title. 
Titans got a really impressive win on the road against Kansas City yesterday. They're down 17-7 to in the fourth quarter, and they come back out there and they, they grab the touchdown, go for two, miss it, get two field goals. Really the story at the end of this game was uh, Ryan Suckup is setting up, who's a Tennessee Titans kicker, setting up for a 53-yard field goal. Andy Reid tries to ice him. Suckup <laughs> still gets the kickoff and, and misses it and then nails it the next time. So icing the kicker doesn't always work. Andy Reid's a great coach, so I'm not going to crap on him for this. It was just a crazy end to a game, but I'm really impressed with the Titans. Joe, who do you think wins this division? I don't know. I think whoever wins it's not going to win in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, that seems pretty clear right now. I don't know, man. Like, this division's been garbage since the beginning of time. (laughs) Like, it really has. Like, I mean... You know no, it really has. Like, you know what the greatest trick, and well, another greatest trick. I'm going to do the greatest tricks all the time. The greatest trick the, that division ever pulled was made people think Bill Polian was a genius when all he did was have Peyton Manning and horrible defense after horrible defense because they could all keep winning the division because the division stunk for 15 years. And it still I'm glad you got to go now. on this retroactive rant about something that happened 10 years ago. Listen, those Colts teams weren't good. It was Peyton Manning and a bunch of bums. Yeah, Peyton was great in case you missed it, but Titans are winners of four of their last five games. They get they're at the Jaguars next week, which should be a win for them. So it's going to be interesting seeing them and the Texans facing off. Week I like 17. how you I like how you say it's interesting. It's not interesting. It is. It listen. It it is interesting. All right, so it's say Houston. Too. Houston plays Tennessee, and the winner goes to the playoffs. Who are you rooting for? I think I'm probably rooting for Tennessee here because I like Marcus Mariota. I think he's played really well. Yeah, how much do you like him? Do you like like him? You're the worst. Thanks. I do think it's interesting. I mean, it's it's a division we're talking about, and I wouldn't have. His QBR was 48 yesterday, by the way. Mariota, yeah, it's a tough defense, but he hung in there. He made plays late in the game. Come on, man. Yeah, 19 to 33, 241, one pick, no touchdowns. Played great. Okay, this defense has really been helping the team out a lot, and they don't get enough credit. I didn't say he. And the running game's good. Yeah, the, the running game's good. The running game actually struggled a little bit yesterday, but they. They no, they did. They ran for over five yards a carry. How many times did they run the ball? I Twenty-nine times for five point one yards and two touchdowns. Yeah, it's pretty good actually. They didn't struggle at all. Big game, guys. You just have to try to find a way to weasel more credit than Mariota because he's been good. He's having a <laughs> no, good season. No, I agree. We talk about Mariota all the time. People early in the season like he's regressing, but he wasn't, and then he's good, and now he's solid. But I mean, he's still only in the second year. The same thing goes with Winston. Like you're not gonna, I'm not gonna just like be like, oh, they're second year, they're playing well, so I'm gonna trust them with my life. Marcus, please save my life. That's where we are. Time All right, kills Joel, fast. We're getting terrible, so let's move on terrible. and do some bad. Let's do some bad tweets. Music. Fry MJ memes with the side of some racism. Many hot takes. Some of them bad tweets. All right, I guess I'm gonna read this bad tweet. This one was from Dame, who's at Dame Got Game. He actually tweeted this a couple weeks ago, so I had to dig back for it. He tweets, Malik Monk and Ben McLemore are the same exact player. Joe, tell me why this is a bad tweet. Well, to be fair to Dame, he tweeted this out before the 47 points Malik Monk scored against North Carolina over the weekend. Um, I'm assuming he looked at three-point percentage numbers and saw there was somewhere. Ben McLemore in college couldn't score on the road at all. Like, home games, awesome. Away games, he was horrible. Like, a bad basketball player. And uh, Malik Monk is very, like, he's he's also only 6'3", Malik Monk. 
I don't remember Ben McElmore's size size off the top. Six five. Six five. Six McElmore is a weird player where he reminds me of a Ray Allen in a way where he's a sharpshooter, more athletic than people realize. Not as explosive as Ray Allen was in college. Ray Allen was had hops, man. But um, yeah, he shoots over fifty percent from the floor. Shoots Are you four, talking about Malik Monk or Ben McElmore? Malik Monk, fifty percent from the floor, forty percent from beyond the arc. His effective field goal percentage is like over sixty percent. Yeah, sixty three or sixty one percent. True shooting percentage sixty three percent. That's pretty good for a volume shooter, right? He is a volume shooter. He shoots sixteen times per game uh, in college. Uh, ben McLemore, what like like I can't. His overall numbers are going to be comparably fine with Malik Monks, but if you look at his road games, he was horrible. All his good, almost, almost exclusively, with the exception of two games, if I can remember correctly, he was awful on the road. And Malik Monk plays well everywhere. Right. Yeah, I see, I read that tweet, and I was wondering if it was like a college Ben McLemore comparison. Well, or I'm an assuming NBA it was an NBA one, and I'm, it's too early to even think about that. If it's an NBA one, then you're really kind of crapping on, on Malik Monk, and that makes this a worse tweet. If it's college, it's not that terrible, because I do remember thinking McLemore was a really good prospect when he was at Kansas. I mean, he, he, did a, he was a little similar to Monk, not to, like, not to you know, double down. McLemore, or, was a, McLemore wasn't a great jump shooter, and he attacked the rim more than Monk does. They're not similar in style of play at all. They weren't. More in the fact that they were kind of a combo guard, and McLemore was capable of doing more than just going to the basket. But I, I do think it's bad because Malik Monk looks like an absolute superstar. And I think McLemore was just maybe in, in a draft class where there weren't that many amazing pro prospects. And we are looking at it like, oh, well, he could be a two-guard in the NBA that has point guard you know, ability. Whereas Lonzo Ball, I'm sorry, not Lonzo Ball, whereas Malik Monk is just like, this kid is a flat-out stud scorer. Joe, do you think he has a, the ability to play point guard in the NBA, though? Um, and see, this is where it gets tough because I was talking yesterday with somebody asked me if he was Ben Gordon, right? He's Ben Gordon's an undersized was an undersized two guard, and I think the way the NBA is going, you're kind of okay with your point guard not being traditional and just being a guy that can shoot a lot. So yeah, I think Malik Monk kind of fits into can can fit in today's NBA. Um, he's different than Buddy Heald as well because I think that comparison is going to come as well at some point um, because Malik Monk's a volume shooter who's considered. Um, you know, a guy that could hit anywhere on the floor, kind of like Buddy Heald was. Uh, Malik Monk has a better handle than Buddy Heald did, and um, he's better earlier than Buddy Heald is. I'm really glad that you brought that up, because that's what I was thinking, too. When I was thinking about Malik Monk, and I I didn't really know if you were going to want to kind of contextualize this with NBA future or NBA I don't like doing it this early. I don't, but I, I understand that a lot of people, like, it's the only way... Like, unless you're a college basketball fan, there's no way for me to explain this without going with the NBA comparison. So I, you, you kind of have to, I guess. Right, and but that, that was what I was thinking, was that Malik Monk is kind of what people wanted Buddy Heald to be. Because he has more of that explosiveness, and he is more skilled, and it's not just a, this is what this guy's able to do in the context playing against college competition. It's like, this is what this guy's going, I mean, not to this extent, not going nuts. He's a better defender seven. than Buddy as well. Right, he's a more well-rounded player than Buddy Heald is with the same, I don't want to say skill set, but the same strengths. Yeah, you know, like the, the ability to shoot. And, yeah, exactly. I think that's a good way to put it. Like, this is, he's younger. Like, Buddy, it took Buddy Heald a little while to get going in college. And he was all, like, you got to remember, like, when you're a senior in college, you're kind of, like, you're a man, and you're still playing against boys. Do you know what I mean? 
So I don't want to like discredit Buddy Hill's senior season, Malik, but Malik Monk's doing this as a kid. Do you know what I mean? So it makes it a little, it makes it more impressive, and he's more well-rounded. Even though their their style of play could be considered similar, Malik Monk does a better job running off screens as well. Buddy Hill was a little more ball in hand heavy in college. Um, he's obviously not have a, having a great start to his pro career. Um, I, I think there's if you're going to do the pro thing that if you want to compare him to Buddy Hield, you just have to acknowledge that Malik Monk's already more well rounded at a far younger age, which gives which should make his prospects be higher than what Buddy's was. Like right. you can't use Buddy Hield to hold him back. I feel like that's what's inevitably happen is the comparison's not going to be to Ben Gordon or it's not going to be the Ben McLemore. It's going to be to Buddy Hield because he was the last person people remember being a high volume shooter in college. And then they're going to go back to other high-volume shooting guys like Jimmer Fredette and stuff like that and be like, this doesn't work in the NBA. And you got to watch Kentucky play to see that Monk isn't just forcing shots. It's always in the flow of the offense. He had huge, two huge threes at the end of the North Carolina game, which won Kentucky the game. And he's and he's not great defensively, but he's better than Jimmer. He's better than uh, Ben Gordon. He's better than Ben Mack. Well, Ben Mack was actually a solid defender. But you know what I mean. Like He's a good defender. Good enough. That, he's long, too. Yeah, he, I, I don't know. I don't know his like his measurables are obviously going to be a big deal because if he's listed at six three in college, does that mean he's six two? But is his wingspan big enough for it offsets? Do you know what I mean? Right. Yeah, we'll see. I I also am just I'm impressed. Like you mentioned, he gets his shots up in the flow of the offense, and he's sharing the court usually with you know De'Aaron Fox, who's another scorer, and he, he's on this Kentucky All Star team of sorts. Where it's it's not like okay, we got to just find ways to get Buddy healed the ball let Buddy Jack up 24 shots a game so he can get his points. He is getting his points in the flow of the offense. And yeah, granted, Saturday night's game is a little bit of an anomaly where he's taking 28 shots. That game was phenomenal. He was red hot. And yeah, I mean, it was just the flow of the game. I mean, we're, we're talking about 103 to 100 college basketball game. And we had I, two... It, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you, so I'm sorry. No, two games this season, UCLA, Kentucky, um, Kentucky, North Carolina, where... If you're not a college basketball fan at all, but if those were the only two games you ever saw, you'd become one. Those games yeah. are so good. Like, 103 to 100. Like, 47 points in a college basketball game. And I know Malik Monk played 38 minutes of that game, so it's almost a full 40. But that's seriously like 65, 70 points in an NBA game. Yeah. Oh, it's huge. Absolutely. It's huge. I, and- I wrote about Malik Monk over the weekend. I'm, I'm totally on Like, you know what's funny? When Kentucky lost to UCLA, I remember seeing tweets about Kentucky has no flow in their offense, they only play bully ball, Isaiah Briscoe is the only guy they can go through, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you're not watching Kentucky because Malik Monk's their best offensive weapon. Like, they're actually well-rounded offensively. They played, and offense wasn't, their, I know they had that dry spell against you in the UCLA game. Their offense against UCLA was their defense, not their offense. Their offense is great, and Malik Monk is, listen, man, I think he really, I think... I think he, I personally, I believe this before the game, but I think he kind of uh, made it known that he belongs in that, like, I'm not talking about draft conversation, I'm just talking about recognition conversation with Lonzo Ball and Marquez Fultz, where he's like, not just, because I know the freshman class this year is loaded, and it is, like, TJ Lee's great, like, all these guys are awesome, but he's not just one of those dudes, he's one of those elite dudes with Fultz and Ball. I agree with you, and I kind of tried to, like, initiate this conversation on Twitter a couple weeks ago and got, like, laughed out of it. I was a little offended by it because I'm very impressed with the things that he can do. And, look, 
Fulton Ball are both amazing prospects, too. Ball is interesting. Seth Greenberg made the Now, I don't think this is accurate, but this is how good he is. He could play poorly um, from a counting stat standpoint, but still impact the game. And Seth Greenberg made the comparison to Magic Johnson, where he makes passing contagious. He wasn't saying he was Magic Johnson. He was just saying, like, UCLA's style of play will change when Ball changes his style in a way where Magic Johnson can, can make everybody else around him change. And I thought that was an interesting thing where Ball's counting stats aren't doing his game justice. Are we done talking about Malik Monk? Because I could definitely go on Ball for well, yeah, a yeah, yeah, yeah. We could pass cool. on Monk and go on the Ball, yeah. I am totally with you, and I'm totally with what Greenberg said. I mean, UCLA, you just said this before, how these have been two of the most exciting games that you could watch, you know, from a college basketball standpoint, if you're not a college basketball fan. And the way UCLA runs their offense, they look like an NBA team. They they play fast, they pass the ball around a ton, they, they get their shots up quick, they play at a, at a quick pace, and yeah, I think that that's Lonzo Ball. I think that that's his impact. If he's not having a huge game, he's still forcing the pace. He's still finding good shots for his teammates. I mean, he's just, he's a player that has such an impact beyond his counting stats. I, I couldn't agree more with that take. Yeah, I think his counting, like, listen, his counting stats aren't bad either. It's 14 points, 9 assists, almost 2 steals, almost a block per game. It's, look, well, first of all, you have to also mention UCLA's roster is very good. You have Bryce Halford, you have TJ Leaf, who's going to play his way into the lottery. Um, you have a, one of the million other Holiday brothers coming out yeah. of the bench. Um, they're they're good. Like this isn't like a team. It's not like Lonzo Ball and a bunch of scrubs. It's Lonzo Ball and another lottery draft pick and Holiday, who probably by the time he's done at UCLA will play his way into the late first, early second round of the NBA draft. But um, Isaac Hamilton's a good player too. Two, yeah, they're stat. They're they're a really good team. And credit to Steve Alford, who. Listen, I'm not a huge Steve Alford fan, but he's been like, okay, I'm not going to overcoach this team. Go, go, go up tempo, run. You know what I mean? And he's letting, like, he's letting his athletes, which he has, go. Like, it's it's absurd to watch. Like that game against Kentucky in the first half, Ball was pretty much sitting, standing behind the arc, 33, 30, 33, 30 to 33 feet out, and it looks like he's not engaged in the offense, right? And what he's doing is he's drawing defenders away because he's Lonzo Ball and everybody's afraid of him. And it gives TJ Leaf underneath the basket, like just one on one coverage. And nobody's going to stop TJ Leaf one on one. TJ Leaf's a very legitimate college basketball big man. So, like, you have all this spacing in the center of the floor. Then the second half happens. And then um, Kentucky's trying to adjust naturally. So they're like, okay, we're going to give Ball a little more space. Like, we're not going to go, you know, man him up. 30 feet from beyond the arc, and then what does Ball start doing? Hitting 30 feet, 30 feet bombs. So, right. Ball will give you that weird, if you're the opposing team, he'll give you that weird sense of security. Oh, he's just chilling out there, frustrated. He's not. He's creating space on the floor because he knows that you're so scared of him that your defense will go all the way out there and leave a lottery draft pick player alone in the basket against a college basketball front court that's not going to be able to play him. Do you know what I mean? Right. It's, it's actually absurd to watch. And a, a, seriously, huge credit to Steve Alford for doing this because I didn't think he would be capable of getting out of the way of talent. Yeah, he, he I know that sounds like a backhanded compliment, but it is. 
No, I'm, listen, I mean, college basketball is also one of these games where we, we tend to give so much credit to the coaches, but it's obviously the players who are playing, and a big part is knowing what your players are capable of. I'm so happy UCLA, about college basketball. <laughs> you know what? When you get a game like Saturday night's game, you have to talk about college basketball the next day, especially with the NBA having a relatively quiet weekend. You, you have to. And this UCLA offense is leading. It's second in the nation in points per game. First in assists, and I think it starts with Alfred recognizing what he has in Lonzo Ball and what Lonzo Ball can do with the guys around him. I mean, we're talking about Ball and the ability he has to create offense for others. He's shooting 54% from the field and 45% from three. I mean, this guy's okay. this guy's going to be a top two pick in the NBA draft. He's a stud. UCLA is going to be worth talking about all season long. We have to talk about them. He's what people wanted Michael Carter-Williams to be, but he's already that. He's a six-foot-six point guard. Um... To go on your your, I don't love true shooting percentage hot take, um, but he's sixty seven percent, almost sixty eight percent. But I do like effective field goal percentage. He's sixty seven percent from there. That's so, ridiculous. Yeah, it really is. Like it's insane considering teams are gearing up to stop him, which opens right. up the floor. That's why he has nine assists per game because teams are so afraid of him. They're doubling him, and he's just finding a way to get the ball to TJ Lee for or Holiday or Bryce Alford, who's played well as well. Um, they're a really well rounded team. Like they're. They're good, and Ball's the primary reason for it, obviously. Yeah, I agree. I'm really impressed with him, and I mean, now's when we're going to start hearing a ton about him. He's just, he's a good story. He's a good kid off the court. He has two brothers who are also major, major prospects. I think they're both committed to to UCLA as well. Yeah, one of them is like a truck, they said. They compared him to a truck. Like, I guess he's bigger, and he's going to be like a forward or something. Right, that... That's, uh, is it Leangelo? I think his name's Leangelo. That's Leangelo, who's a senior this year and will be at UCLA next year. And then their younger brother, LaMelo, is a sophomore who's just like, I, I watch highlights of him, and he plays like Steph Curry in high school. They're, they're, <laughs> they're a lot of fun, and you're going to be hearing a lot about them. I hope, uh, if I, they all play different positions, they hope they all end up in the same team in the pros. Yeah. That, just that, be like, yeah. The, like the, they'll be like the Sacramento Balls. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, you just you you worry though with this. It could be like a Harrison situation where one of them is good enough to play in the pros and the other isn't. Right now, we definitely know a lot that Lonzo is going to be a stud moving forward. We'll see about his brothers, but just keep them on your radar and make Real sure. Real quick, who do you like better as a pro prospect, Fultz or Ball? You know, I've been I've been getting this question a bunch lately. I haven't seen enough Fultz. What I have seen, I'm really impressed with him. I go ball though. I just I like the I like the facilitator more, and I, I think he's the better facilitator of the two. What so do you think? I think I think that part of the game might translate is easier. Not I don't want to say easier. I think Ball's style of play translates more knowingly than a high volume score. Like Fultz is in a position where he has to score a lot, and he's playing with less talent around him, so it's kind of hard to. You don't want to hurt him for it, but Ball's winning, so I, I guess I'm going to go with Ball just by default because. His team doesn't stink, right? And it's it's not totally fair to Fultz. I think Fultz no, is an amazing Fultz prospect. No, it's not at all. But it's, it's hard, not, right, it's not anything. Ag- it's not anything against him at all. Like they're both amazing. We're probably going to have this conversation another ten times over the next few months. So just get ready. This for draft it. class is loaded. I know there's one other guy you want to talk about, yeah. Joe. Tell me about the man named Taco. Taco Fall. All right. So I wrote about him like twice in the last week. Once for college, once in the NBA. Listen. All right. So he's. For those unaware, he's from he's from the Senegal. He's seven foot six, three hundred pounds. Uh, when he came to college last year, he came to UCF, um, Central Florida. Very raw, very green. Played seventeen minutes per game. Uh, played well, like in those seventeen minutes, seven points, 
shot, 75% from the field, six rebounds, 2.3 blocks per game, uh, 2.5 personal fouls, which was kind of concerning. He's like, can he control his body? So here was the concern with Taco Fall, because he was a four-star recruit coming out of high school. Like, he wasn't this two-star, uh, foreign-born, he's only going to college because he's seven foot six. There was ideas of him potentially being good. Why people should be excited about him, right? There's there's a ton of, a myriad of reasons. One, yesterday he scored a career-high 20 to 31 points. Yeah, 31 points in a game against Miami, Ohio. But here's why you should be really excited. My biggest concerns for him were, can he play line stretches on the floor? So far this season, he's playing 28 and, a half, 28 and a half minutes per game. Can he improve his free throw shooting? His free throw shooting numbers are still garbage. They're under 50%. However, yesterday, he was like 12 or 13 from the free throw line. My Outside of just the minutes per game going up, which helps make me feel like he's not just some tall guy that can like He's not similar. Do you know what I mean? Where he's just a giant guy that you're just going to drop because he's a giant. He's averaging the same, even though he's playing playing 11 more minutes per game, he's averaging the same amount of personal fouls, which to me signifies he's playing more comfortable and in control in his 7'6 frame, which he's gotten bigger too. He's 300 pounds now. I think last year he was like 285. And he looks comfortable, and he looks athletic, and he looks like he belongs in that frame, right? I, I, I know me and you had this conversation going back years ago when Embiid was in college, and I said, why I like about, what I like about Joel Embiid is he doesn't look like he doesn't belong in that seven foot frame. He looks like it's it's natural to him. A lot of guys when they hit seven foot or beyond, it looks like they're they have two left feet or whatever, however you want to phrase it. Right. That's what Fall looked like last year. He doesn't look like that this year anymore. Now he still has negatives. He brings the ball low far too often. Um, but like a lot of his other things, like he's not averaging. He's only averaging assists per game. That would be a lot higher if UCF is riddled with injuries right now. B.J. Taylor, who's a, another excellent sophomore on that team, has missed like the last three or four games. Uh, if they could make jumpers, he'd be averaging like five or six assists per game. And I'm not even kidding. The, 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 they can't, UCF can't make a jump shot for the light. Like teams are double and triple and tackle fall, and he's find, like he's quickly finding open guys from three. They just can't hit. I'm th- Draft Express doesn't have him getting drafted this year. They have him getting drafted next year in the second round. I'm telling you now, if he keeps playing the way he does now, he's going to get drafted late in the first round this year, if he declares. Because he's also like a 4.0 student. He might want to stick out another year. Um, UCF is young. They're, they, they're, they're, they shouldn't be as good as they are now. Like, next year was the year they were supposed to be really good with B.J. Taylor and Taco Fall. But, if, I mean, depending how they go this year, they might make the NCAA tournament. And if they do, Fall's going to end up being a first-round draft Right, he could totally be one of those guys that, with a little more recognition at the right time, works his way into. He's shooting eighty-three percent from the field. I yeah, understand he's seven-six, but like you know, like I'm not going to take that away from him because he's seven-six. Right. His yeah. Best I, game of the season was I, was against Villanova, which has an, has a couple NBA players in the front court. He scored twenty yeah. points on ten and ten shooting. So he's look, legit. Like he's not just doing this against Miami, Ohio. He's doing this against everybody. Right, yeah, I look forward to them getting into conference play. Look forward to him playing against uh, UConn a little bit and seeing how he looks against, you know, a little bit better of a team. UConn stinks. They're all hurt. <laughs> they do. I'm not even trying to be mean about it. Their whole team's hurt, and they're not good. Right, yeah, Somebody, made the, somebody made the good win for Georgetown yesterday because they beat Syracuse. And I'm like, Syracuse lost to a horrible UConn, and their best win was against nobody yet. 
So I don't know how good that win was for Georgetown. Not to go too all college basketball on you, but Georgetown, Syracuse, UConn, all probably not good. Georgetown yeah, not, is not good. I know that for a fact. Not a good year for those programs. That's how my taco hot fall pot tastes off. All right. I'm sure we'll be hearing more about him moving forward as well. But, Joe, before we get into absurd questions, let, let's we might as well cue up the that don't look good music because we have a bad situation that's following a team that we both adore, and that's the Philadelphia 76ers, who are apparently having a little bit of fallout with Nerland's Noel. Uh, Noel returned from an injury about a week ago. He, he had knee surgery uh, just at the end of the offseason, heading into the season. He played his first game last week, and he's played in two games so far this season. In those two games, Nerland's Noel has combined to play about 18 minutes. He's very unhappy with his playing time. He was unhappy in the offseason with the logjam in the front court, and uh, he let his feelings be known after Friday night's game, in which he only played eight minutes. Uh, I believe he was a DNP last night for them after making those comments. Joe, Nerland's Noel's not in good shape in Philadelphia. What do you think this team should do? Do you think that they're wrong for not playing him? I mean, what, what do you make of this whole situation? Well, I mean, usually when guys come back from injury, they kind of get eased into the rotation as is. They do have a log jam in the front court. Brown's in a pickle because, you know, he has all these guys and only so many minutes. I do think they should trade him. Um, if he's going to be uh, publicly disgruntled, you're already losing kind of whatever value you could have to trade him on the market. I assume they were trying to bring him back, ease him back in to show that he's healthy to trade him. He kind of just ruined all that. He's now Brown probably had to put his foot down and give him a do not play because he can't be doing that. But I can see why Neuralands Noel is frustrated. He's, you're good. You're good enough to be playing more than eight minutes a game. I see Philadelphia going like, hey, like you just came back from injury. We can't just like throw you out there 30 minutes. So I see both sides of it. Yeah, it, it's just it's tough. I mean, it's hard after he makes these comments, after he says, I know I'm not an eight minutes a game player and they need to figure this blank out. Like, it's hard. He He's forcing their hand a little bit. And at the same time, I mean, he's a free agent this offseason. So it's not like his value is crazy. But he he's he's still a player that has so much potential. I don't. I get it. He just returned from injury. You're not going to rush him into the lineup. You're not going to play him big minutes. And the Sixers obviously have, have done a good job, I guess you could say, kind of being diligent with their players who are returning from injuries. I mean, for a while, uh, Joel Embiid was on minutes restriction. Jalil Okafor was on minutes restriction. You know, they're clearly not in a rush to, to compete and get their best product out on the court immediately. But you know you have Noel unhappy, and you still don't have this great roster. I just I don't understand how they're, they haven't made it more of a priority to keep him happy and how they've allowed it to kind of get to this point where he's so miserable that every opportunity he has, he's going to the media to talk about how poorly he's being managed. I mean, do you think this makes Nerlens Noel look bad? Ah, uh, man. I know it's you tough. don't want to kill an athlete ever, but it's just... It's <laughs> I don't, but there. it's not a great look. I, I'm Listen, the only reason I'm assuming he went public is because he wants to be traded. There's no reason to do that unless you're just frustrated and in the moment it happens. Because you're not helping anybody by saying that, obviously, unless you're trying to let it be known to other teams you want out. So, yeah, it doesn't look great, but I get it. Like, listen, he's not—he's a good player. I think everybody agrees on that. Like, he's a little injury prone, I guess, and he's not going to score 20 points per game. He's not that guy. He's a defensive guy. He can rebound a little. He still has potential. He's still young. So, yeah, I can see him being in the contract here, being like, "Hey, get me more minutes." Yeah, 
Yeah, it's bad. I just hope it gets settled for him soon because, again, I, I think he's a good player. Well, the Sixers would... should have traded him in the offseason for a guard. I mean, this is like people, like, it's going to be such weird revisionist history when the Sixers team ends up being good because they should with the roster they have and the pieces they could move around to become good. And everybody's going to look at the Colangelos and be like, it was them. The foundation was built by Hinky, obviously. And then Colangelos, what they should have done in the offseason, has got a guard from the Lens Noel when his value was still relatively high. Now it's low, and you're not going to get that much for him. Like, this isn't right. that hard. Like, I don't I'm, – I'm already projecting the Sixers turnaround and where the credit goes. It should go to Brown, the coach, for dealing with all this. And he's the only one that has to deal – he's the only consistent voice that's been there through the trust of process to the Colangelo era now who's answering for – roster he didn't build you know what i mean so like he's in a weird spot and like everybody like everybody's in a weird spot like imagine being imagine your company going all right hey we're gonna draft you we're gonna get you here because we really believe you believe in you and then the next year they hire somebody in that same position and the year after it's somebody in the same position and you're like hey like i thought you guys believed in me and now you're in your contract year and you're like oh you only get to do three data spreadsheet per day or whatever, yeah, I mean, like whatever you can relate to for your job, you know what I mean? And Nerlens was one of those guys who over the last couple of years, I mean, whenever he's been healthy, has been pretty much their best player, and now it's like, well, we got Embiid, and we got Sarge to come over, and Okafor is healthy this season, and your your contract's running up, so we're not <laughs> we're not going to give you these big minutes and this opportunity to play on a better team. It's just, it, it feels weird, and I have a hard time kind of blaming Noel. Yeah, he, he's really young, so I mean, he could be handling this a little bit better I just I, I I don't understand what the Sixers are doing, and if they didn't have intentions of making Noel a part of what they're doing, why didn't they just trade him when they had the opportunity to get more? I mean, even if they couldn't get like a real player back, even if it was just a couple of picks or something, the Colangelo is like you said. I mean, not to not to use every opportunity we have to shout out Sam Hinkie, but it just feels like Colangelo's aren't managing this ideally. They're not doing anything at all. They have all these assets, right? And we're, we're so we are doing a couple guessing that we're not there every day to see, but we're assuming Ben Simmons going to be competent to good to great. And you have Okafor, who me and you think are like, you know, he's like kind of Enos Cantor like, and Embiid's Embiid, and you desperately need guard help. So you have all these bigs. Why aren't you using one of them to get a guard? Like, I don't think it's I don't think it's that complicated. Like, even if the value is not great, like even if you're not getting a, I know. Top twenty point guard, whatever for New Orleans Noel. If you could get a NBA talented level point guard and like a some kind of gauge draft pick, it's better than playing New Orleans Noel eight minutes per game and just wasting the value until he just walks away in the offseason. Yeah, that's how I feel as well. Blah. It's not good. All right, Joe. I think it's time for absurd questions. Absurd questions. So are we are we replacing the music now with you just yelling at yes, every show? Yes, it's so much easier than me going in and doing it, because that's all it is. All right, I'm going to go first today. Joe, this is a tough one, Jared. but can you can you do the alphabet backwards? Nope, not even going to try. Can you? Uh, yeah, you know, I've been put on the spot, and I've been trying to do it, so let's see if I can. Z-Y-X-W-V-U-T-S-R-Q-P-O-N-M. L K J I. This is where I always get tricked up. Uh, G is it G H or H G? You can make it up. I would have just agreed with you. H G F 
E D C B A. Did you just randomly throw an S with a D and the F word in between? No, 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 no. Did I? I don't know. I can't go back and listen, but I think I got that one right. Except for I, my I, I, I'm problem. listen. If you just kept saying letters backwards, I would have because like I mean like it's not great radio. So <laughs> I just would have been like, good job, yay! Well, I mean, you could have listened and or looked, brought up an alphabet to tell me if I was doing it right well, or wrong. I didn't want to be a jerk either and just say letters while you were doing it because that was my first reaction. Just say yes. As you should have. As you should have. This question was inspired, by the way. Last night I watched Jingle All the Way uh, with my fiance and Arnold Schwarzenegger. I don't know if you remember the plot in this, but he keeps <laughs> running into the same cop, like doing terrible things and running into the same cop. And at one point, the cop, a cop, like the cop, pulls him over and makes him recite the alphabet, and then makes him recite it backwards. So that that made me think. I bet Joe can't do the alphabet backwards. And you proved me right. You you didn't even try. Right, and we're not, we're not 100% sure you could do it either. We're just taking your word for it, because nobody's really going to listen to that. Um, put, it on, put it on the poll. Did Jared get the alphabet backwards right? Listen, I'm dead serious. We need to t- It doesn't even have to be Varun. We need to get somebody to do our polls for us. All right, man. We need to get an intern, somebody that loves the podcast, that we could, right after the show, direct message, be like, here's the polls, put them up. <laughs> because we're not live, and they can't hear them until we're done. Um Here's my absurd question for you. This actually goes back to what we were talking about earlier a little bit, so it's weird that we're kind of doubling down on it. Yes. All right. So, like, I really do like engageful, engaging, thoughtful, insightful content. No matter, like, it could be writing, it could be radio, it could be TV, whatever. Like, I'm, I, walk, I, I fell asleep during it, but I was watching the 13th documentary on Netflix last night, and I can't wait to go watch it later today. Um, like, I really like insightful stuff and, like, really engaging things. So uh, now I'm transitioning to ESPN radio. If you could format it any way you could, like there's the six to ten slot, the ten to one slot, the one to four slot, the four to seven slot. Who would you have in each slot? Like, remember, like we all know it's Mike and Mike, uh, Dan Lebatard, Canal and Rosillo, and then Bomani. But you can mix and match pairings and pull guys from like other things or whatever. Like, what's your dream ESPN radio lineup? So wait, does it have to be ESPN people? No, you can, whoever you want. You'd be like, people. I want, I want the corpse of George Carlin teamed up with. It doesn't it can't be George Carlin, but they have to be a live sports personalities. It could be from wherever. Six to ten slot, ten to one slot, one to four slots, uh, four to seven slot. So they have to be sports. Um. Well, if you're gonna do a tandem show, right? Like if it's gonna be a two man show, one of the two has to be sports. Gotcha. Like, you could do wow, a little non-sports. Like, you could do, um, like, Peter Rosenberg. I know he's a sports guy, but he does a ton of non-sports, right? I put him on in the morning. Yeah, so I, would, I. I, I like Rosenberg would. a lot. All right, go yeah, tell, tell me your uh, lineup. Geez, we're starting at six. Well, I'm going to tell you what. I'm going to shout out my guy, Robin Lumberg, and I'm going to let him keep the four to six spot. Robin Lumberg follows me on Twitter. Okay, Big we're not doing man. four to six. Six to ten. <laughs> well, I tried to get you in, Lumberg. I apologize. All right, so... If, if you like him so much, you would put him on the 6 to 10. Uh, you know yeah, what? I, oh, now you don't want to do it. Nah, I bite. I'll do it. Let's let's give let's give Rosenberg and Lundberg, get the Bergs in there, get the Bergs the 6 to 10 spot. Because you got to be careful, 6 and 10 is very family-orientated radio. You do this have... This for me. I don't care about Oh, okay, babies. go ahead. Well, no, well, I don't, well, Rosenberg's not, like, super, like, he's, I like him a lot, but he's not, like, super edgy. He's not going to be, like going on weird rants that you don't want your kids hearing about. Yeah, I, I, I'm fine with them. Give me give me Rosenberg and Lumberg from 6 to 10. Uh, I'm going to... 
it's hard because I, I like Levitard where he is. I think Morning works for those guys. So I'm going to keep the Levitard crew together for the 10 to 1 spot. Uh, then I'm going to go, oh man, I'm going to, I'm going to close out jobs here. I'm going to make less jobs for people. I'm going to give Rosillo Mike Frances's time slot. Whoa. So I'm going to give Rosillo and Scott Van Pelt one until 6.30. Whoa, that's a huge, and, huge Hey show. man, that's what Mike gets. That's what Mike gets. I Mike know. Gets well, Mike's leaving, right? Francisca's done? I, I guess. I, I don't know that he officially is, but I think so. I think they said he's done after 2017. I'm I'm not sure. You look it so up. So who's I, doing the last half hour of radio? You still have 6.30 through 7. You didn't cover on the time oh, we're not going. we're not going beyond that. I didn't know if I was filling a, filling a whole day. All no. right, so I'll, I'll keep the 1 to 4 then. I'll give I'll give Rosillo and SVP that 1 to 4. And then if, if I have to do a 4 to 7 slot, that's interesting because that, that's the drive time. Um, I don't know, man. I, I live in New York, so when I do drive around, I am kind of listening to ESPN Radio if I'm not listening to a podcast. I, I think Don McGregor does a really good job. I don't know if you've ever listened to the Michael K show. Um, that, that's where Rosenberg is in the afternoons. Uh, so I think Don McGregor is Michael K's co-host, and I think he does a really good job with it. I obviously don't really want Michael K on it, but um, no shots to Michael K, by the way. Michael K... I grew up with Michael Kay. I think he's amazing. I didn't grow up with him like, yeah, we grew up together, but he's been the Yankee voice my entire existence. So Michael Kay, I can't say bad things about him. I also don't really like saying bad things about people <laughs> in the industry as as a whole. Uh, you know what? I got to be honest. I don't get to listen to the right time ever. I never hear Bomani's show, so I don't even know how great he is, but I would think he's probably amazing. So I put him on from that four to seven slot, and I don't know who I would give him as a co-host. Maybe maybe bring Ryan Rucco back and give him that spot. I think Rucco makes good radio. I think he's well versed. I just I don't like putting people on shows that are going to have to talk about sports they're not overly familiar with. So that's kind of my one problem with Michael K. Is he's on in a New York town and he's a baseball guy and he's talking about ba- basketball and football for the majority of the year. And for me, it just it doesn't come across overly genuine. I mean, he does an okay job. He holds it down. He does fine. I just I want somebody who is an expert. So. Give me Bomani, and with him, I guess, I don't know. Well, he does it by just, himself now. Yeah, you don't have to Bomani, He could take that slot, but what I just say that was all that different. I pretty much put the guys who are already on in those slots, so I didn't even make anything fun. Joe, what's yours? Because you clearly have something in mind. Yeah, I do. Um, I From 6 to 10, listen, I don't hate Mike and Mike, but, you know, they're not really my cup of tea. I'm going to go Peter Rosenberg and Rosillo together 6 to 10 in the morning. Um, when SVP stepped down, Rosenberg did a bunch of guest spots before it was settled on Canal. I thought they were tremendous together. Um, I, I was actually shocked when they went with Canal instead of Rosenberg. Um, from 10 to 1, you leave Dan Lebertard. Dan Lebertard's show is just tremendous, but I think we both kind of made that point. I do think they work as well in the afternoon um, because it has that kind of like end-of-the-day feel to it. But I also work from home, so I don't really care about anybody else. So 10 to 1. Cool, that makes sense. Um, one to four, I'm gonna move Bomani up to the one to four slot because I feel like I know the four to seven's probably the larger listenership for the drive home from work or whatever, but I do feel like the one to four slot is the more prominent slot on the radio, and um, I would not give him a call. So my issue comes when it hits four to seven, right? Like, who do I want there? And that's where I actually move Mike Greenberg. Without Mike Golick, I let Mike Greenberg do it by himself and kind of do a more, hopefully, I don't, because I think Mike Greenberg is actually really, and I don't dislike him or Golick, right? 
I think Greenberg kind of fell in the trap where it became, it's become a shtick with Golik, where they're kind of just in a routine at this point. I think if Greenberg was given a chance to just be like, hey, you're on your own again, four to seven, just go be you, I think he would actually be revitalized and thrive a little bit. Because he's a really smart guy, and um, early Mike and Mike was actually kind of different than what it is now. It was kind of, it kind of helped. It did. It kind of re-changed national radio. You know what I mean? So I would, I would give him a shot to try to catch his career four to seven. I think that's pretty cool of you, actually. I, I was a huge fan of both of them together. Their show is just not really for me anymore. I don't really enjoy listening to it at all. But I do agree that Mike Greenberg is, like, as good as it gets in the industry. Yeah, like, I just don't want to get rid of him. And, like, and I don't, like, the whole thing is, like, people, like, I don't want to be, like, I dislike Cola because I don't. I like Cola. I'm just, I'm just tired of the run. Like, listen, Dan Lebertard makes this point all the time. Like, 10 years to be teamed up in the radio is a really long time. They've been together, like, what, 18 years? Um, no, it Mike and Mike. That long. It has it. Let me look it up real quick. But it's been a I, long time. If anything, it's it's maybe closer to like ten to fifteen. They, I know they recently celebrated the show together. They first episode right. nineteen ninety eight. Oh, wow. Um, so oh, yeah, it's almost, it's almost twenty years. Wow. So um, it's it's actually I was right. It's eighteen years. Um, yeah. But uh, that's that's a long time to be together, and I think. Like, going back to the Mike and Mike, the other Mike and the Mad Dog and all that stuff. Like, when you're together for a certain, like, on a national scale, I think it wears quicker than on a local scale. And um, I know other sports personalities always talk about this. Like, the long, like, I've done this as a radio fan, right? Like, so I liked Mike and Mike first. Then I went to the Dan Patrick show. Then I went to SVP Rosillo. Then I went to Dan Lebertard, like, as my go-to shows. When, what ends up ha- for me, and I don't want to just wet blanket everybody, is I think what happens is a show or personalities kind of run their course of their gimmick. And as you age out, they're aging themselves out just by being people, humans. You know what I mean? Like eventually, like me and you as sports writers, we're not going to be able to relate to the 20 to 40 year old crowd anymore. You know what I mean? So I think it's just a natural progression where I think uh, Mike Greenberg would excel out on his own kind of catering to a aristocratic type of, of fan base. Fair. And again, for me, my problem with them is just, it's hard for me to listen to football guy talk about basketball and other sports for over half of the year. You know what I mean? Like, it's hard for me to listen to Mike Golick and his NBA finals takes. It just doesn't do anything for me. Right. Exactly. All fair. That's, that's where I stand. All right, well, that, that was a good question. I'm glad we got to talk about the industry, and I hope we didn't offend anybody in the process. I mean, obviously, we have great respect for... I only cost one person does. a job. Who's that? I actually cost two people. I cost Canal and Golik their job. Oh, you cost, right, like, nine yeah. people their job, though. Yeah, you asked for my ideal fit. I actually think it's funny that we still don't have, like, DVR for radio or anything like that. I mean, we I guess because we have... I guess because we have podcasts, but still, if I'm like listening to the radio and somebody says something interesting, it'd be cool if I could rewind it and listen to it again. Shh, don't tell anybody. Let's go make this and then patent it. And stuff and For a rich. long time, I thought this could be my billion dollar idea. I have no idea how to do it. And then again, I think, well, there are podcasts. So why I got to tell you the story the one time about how me and my friend invented Netflix before it was a thing. Netflix, like streaming Netflix, or Netflix, like we send DV, DVDs to your house. Netflix. Net, we did Netflix and Redbox both as ideas. We and I can't tell you what substances we were on when we were in high school, and uh, when those things actually happened, because we thought like nobody would ever actually ever do it. 
we were really upset. Man, what a bummer. Next time, yeah, so listen, here, take my idea, run with it, make it No, money. don't run with it. It's me and Jared's idea. All right. No, I was saying you take it. You take it and run with it. I have no idea how to make it happen. All right. Well, put it on the poll, listeners. If you guys could help us make it. <laughs> no, 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 put it on the poll. We want to stop secret. help people stop listening right now. All right, guys. <laughs> well, we want to thank everybody who, who stuck around and listened to our show today. Uh, you know who I am, and you can follow me on Twitter at Hoops. Catch my basketball rating at the FanRag Sports Network. Joe, tell the people where they could find you. Um, FanRagSports.com, College Basketball NBA. <laughs> it's weird because we played the same thing. At Twitter, at Joseph Cardone, N-E-R-D-O-N-E. Don't text and drive. Read Joe's thoughts on Taco. Our familiar websites, worn out clickbait, worn out hotcakes, bright and early for the daily link dumps. No one's clicking, no one's clicking. Their pupils are filling up their pockets. But not for writers, not for writers. Hide my head, I want to do a slideshow. No tomorrow, no tomorrow. And I find it kind of funny, I find it kind of sad. The internet in which I'm worthless is the best I've ever had. I find it hard to tell you, I find it too hot to take. When people blog in circles, it's a very, very mad world.